Well, I'll, uh, I'll open up. We're going to have an address pretty much from uh, 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 Paul's aim for male holiness or what we'll call gendered piety. Grab a seat from over there if, if you want to seat, fellas. Gendered piety and the importance of male holiness in the household of God. So we'll take a, a skim through the pastoral epistles and see that Paul's aim or Paul's key to transforming the world for Christ was strong, godly, male leadership. That's his idea. <clears throat> uh, I reckon probably most of you. Who was here on the first? Who was not here on the first one that we had, May 2021? Who was not here? Yeah, cool. So probably most of us. So we can do it. Even Keith. Even Keith. So we'll do a, um, uh, a, re- a recap or a review. We're going to go to Psalms. If you have your Bible or you have a device with a Bible on it, you can um, swing open Psalm 128. We'll just see where we get our sort of our vision statement or our aim as a ministry uh, from Psalm 128. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the pastoral epistles. I said in May last year, our aim is uh, similar to the fellas under Eisenhower who touched down on Normandy on the 6th of June, 1944. Our aim was to reclaim back for the allied forces or for righteousness sake what has been taken and wrongly taken and, if we're honest, pretty much let alone by the evangelical world uh, in terms of uh, what the Bible says about masculinity. Biblical manhood is what what, what we call it. Biblical manhood, biblical patriarchy, uh, male leadership, whatever you want to call it. It's been taken by feminists and then the evangelicals stood on the beach and said, you're really not allowed to take this back. It's probably toxic. You're probably fragile if you want this back. There's no need to take it back. Just, you know, tone down. Uh, and yet we're, we're on the beach and guns are loaded. Uh, 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 the, the, the doors of the boats are about to open and, and we've been for about a year and a half plus some uh, uh, taken back ground for what is biblical masculinity as God defines it in his word for the sake of building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So our, um, if you're looking for a bit of a mission statement for hope men, whatever, uh, the idea is to raise up men who fear the Lord, rule themselves, lead their families, grow the church and build the kingdom. To the glory of God, right? Fear the Lord, rule themselves, lead their families, build the church, expand the kingdom to the glory of God. And those principles are taken from Psalm 128, which is where we'll go very soon. Now, of course, this ministry or this whole idea is very distinctly and intentionally aimed towards men. Our church age, as we said before, is not really comfortable with that idea. Uh, they're not really comfortable with a distinctly masculine, manhood-aimed, male-focused uh, 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 ministry or church. The reason is because uh, they're, they're, they're far too uh, effeminized or even more so um, feministized. And so uh, to, uh, to, to, to pick uh, uh, a certain gender seems, seems uh, random or sexist or misogynistic, something like that. But the real idea is we do this, we aim at men to reach the rest because that's what God does. In Scripture, Old and New Testament, uh, God's world is, we'll say, a male leadership structured world or if you want to use the other language of patriarchy, structured world, uh, it is uh, 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 designed that way. And so we either, we either walk along the grain, we walk along that path against the stream and against the current of our world, or you go with the current, be a little bit apologetic about intentional masculinity and manhood, and then you lose all of the benefits and blessings that come. Uh, most churches are okay with a women's ministry. That's all cool. 
Most churches are okay with a men's ministry as long as it feels like a women's ministry. You ever been to one of those? Always talking about your feelings. You've got to repent of ever really trying to lead in any way. You're all a failure. Uh, there's flowers. The lighting's always down every now and then that you'd feel comfortable inviting your nieces to, but probably not your mates. They're okay with that. But gendered piety, this is what we, uh, uh, we mean that um, holiness or piety is not androgynous, right? Androgyny means it's, it's not gendered. It can be, you know, like a mannequin. A mannequin is androgynous, usually. You can put a bloke's clothes on it or female clothes on it, and it doesn't really change. Holiness is not actually like that. A holy man is not just the same characteristics as a holy woman, but with shorter hair, hopefully with shorter hair. In fact, <coughs> though we share the same fruit of the Spirit, right? There's not a male fruit of the Spirit and a female fruit of the Spirit. We share the same fruit of the Spirit, but the same fruit look very different on both genders when they're rightly lived out, right? Gentleness in a godly woman looks very different from gentleness in a godly man. Paul, who is preaching hard, training guys, taking the kingdom of darkness on its nose, he said to the Thessalonians that he was like a gentle mother among them, nursing them into godliness. But that would look entirely different from the ladies who greet you on the door or who run the nursery or, or, or who are gentle in a feminine sense. You, you need to realize gentleness, though a fruit of the spirit, will look different between men and women. Same thing with, um, uh, with uh, 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 the sins. Okay? As Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the flesh, we also know that the same fruit of the flesh looks very different between men and women, right? You know what jealousy or envy can look like in a woman? It looks entirely different from gender, uh, uh, jealousy and envy in a bloke or, or fits of rage, he says, in the fruit of the flesh. They look different in a guy compared to a gal, very different. So in the same way, we need to realize that holiness is actually gendered and uh, unless we realize what uh, masculine holiness looks like, we're actually going to be failing in a lot of our aims for masculinity. So look at Psalm 128. We aim this ministry at men because the Bible does. So in Psalm 128, she starts out in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Amen. Amen. There we go. When the psalmist wants to see everybody fear the Lord, he addresses men. And we know he's addressing men because the next verse starts out, your wife. Right? And they only had one kind of marriage back in Jerusalem, back in the old days of Israel. So, so when the psalmist wants to see everybody fear the Lord, he addresses the men. Because the Bible is written by God, and God designed the world, and he knows that, that godliness and holiness and structure goes downstream, starts with godly manhood, and flows downhill to everybody else. If you can't get over that, if you're sitting in this sort of culture or day and age where you're just not comfortable with the idea that God aims at men and through the men hits everybody else, then you're going to just forfeit a lot of the blessings and you're not going to be able to go much further. Probably he's in the church for you. Probably he's in the ministry for you. These probably aren't the blokes for you. But if you can get that and it is not an element of pride that, you, that it's a badge which you hit, you know, you put on your chest and then a club that you hit, hit other people why, uh, 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 women and children over the head with in the sense that you're the leader, you're, you're God's, God's gift to the, to the world. If you can get over it without sinning on that side or sinning on, sh on the side of shame for it, then what you start doing is just taking that huge responsibility on the chin, on your shoulders, you stand up straight underneath it and you see that the Holy Spirit equips you for the very thing he made you and calls you to. 
But if you can't get over that, you're done for. <clears throat> so the next line says, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Okay? So that's secondary. When God wants to make women into fruitful homemakers, he addresses the men. Right? He's not talking to women. He's talking to the women through the men. Right? You men, fear the Lord, eat the fruit of your labor. And then your wife will be, will be holy and fruitful and she will be a, a godly woman. So you get the men, you get the women. Because male leadership is key to everything. Then the next, the next line, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So again, who does God speak to when he wants to see godly kids? The men. The men. He, he addresses the men because godly male leadership is key to everything. And then the next line, verse 4, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So, to go backwards then, the children being godly and being raised godly, and the, the wives being godly, are actually flow and effects of the men being godly. They're actually the blessings for the man who rightly orders his life. Therefore, we can, we can conclude, if the man does not fear the Lord, then his wife and his children will not be able to, to live fruitfully and holy unto God under his leadership. So you lose the man, you get, you get the men, you get everybody else under them. You lose the men, you lose everybody. Because God has designed the world to be pulled as the, um, uh, for the gravity be, to be pulled by the men. And that happens whether the men take up leadership or not. If they, if they just fail, it's still, the world still follows them, just follows them down the drain instead of into godliness. So then he says in uh, verse 5, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, right? Jerusalem or Zion was the center of Jewish worship. This is like the Old Testament church. So we've seen God through men address the wives, through men address the children. And now he's going even further and going, now the church life is going to start being blessed through men, wives, families that are godly. Now the church life is growing. And so, uh, then lastly, he says in verse 6, May you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. Now, Israel is not just Jerusalem. That's not just church life. Israel is the whole kingdom, the whole kingdom of God in the Old Testament dispensation. So, so now what we've seen is it's not just you fearing the Lord that will be blessed, but you will be blessed as having a wife who fears the Lord and is fruitful in, in, in her home and family life. The children are now also being uh, 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 raised up in, in godly ways. Then the church also, the church life, but not just the church, the whole of the kingdom of God, which is everything that flows out of the church, all of the blessings, all of the mission of the church, everything that Christians ought to be doing is, is included in the kingdom of God. So now you've got everything which ties back to male leadership as we see in Psalm 128. I call that the Psalm 128 principle. If you fear the Lord, these other blessings come downstream. If men in general do not fear the Lord and rule themselves, families fall apart, churches fall apart, society falls apart. And that can be proved throughout history over and over again. So we'll come back to our statement. Look at Psalm 128. Hope men seeks to raise up men who fear the Lord, verse 1 and 4, who rule themselves, verse 2, who lead their families, verse 3, who grow the church, verse 5, and build the kingdom, verse 6, to the glory of God. So our culture wants you to believe that you don't matter as men. You really don't matter. If you matter at all, you matter to your boss. If you matter at all, you matter to you, and that's just about it. Each man is an island. You, don't, you can't affect much more than that. You can't really do much more than that. And there are men, as I'm just looking around here, who know for a fact that a father 
or a grandfather or maybe a pastor, but usually it's the father in your life can wreak enormous havoc, not just on you, but on everybody in his path. You, you, you have seen the, the downward spiral that comes when a man doesn't fear the Lord and then pretends to on the outside. Others of you are in the stream of blessing where you can look upstream and go, my father has, has feared the Lord. I'm, I'm a glad inheritor of that legacy and I'm doing what I can to carry that on. No man is an island. You, you, you have the, uh, in God's design, you are, every man is a possible patriarch. If you take the fear of the Lord seriously, you rule yourself, you are able to see generations, as God says in Deuteronomy, to the thousandth generation, generation blessed because God's word, God's law, God's gospel, God's good news is that powerful. If you're a father-hearted man, if you're a king's man, that can change families and churches entirely for generations. So go to 1 Timothy. I'll pretty much swing through it pretty quick. I don't know whether you'll be able to keep up, but give it a try. The point is a, a brief overview of 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, basically just showing us that when Paul, when Paul came uh, to the world, basically, an unevangelized part of the world, he, when he looked out at the world, he saw unevangelized mess, cities in moral decay, churches yet to be planted, or there were some churches, but they were in a total mess, families in disarray, and what did he do? Well, first of all, he preached the gospel to everybody, and then from there, he focused on and trained the men. Now, did he neglect the gals? Absolutely not. He did not neglect the gals. Women were a part of the ministry in all sorts of different ways. But he didn't train them as leaders and key leaders because he knows that female leadership is not the key to much. Male leadership is the key to everything. So he aimed at the men. So in verse um, uh, Timothy 2, and I want you to start thinking, you guys are all in a household of God. That is... First Timothy language for the church. You're all in a church. Maybe hope. Some of you are maybe in other churches, but pretty much everybody here is in hope. And you need to start thinking, I have a part to play in the household of God as much as any Jew had a, had a part to play in the kingdom of Israel, right? Looking after the city, looking after my people and place. Uh, and, and maybe you've got the idea from your past experiences, there's like being a pastor or a missionary, and then the rest of us are sort of just less holy failures. I pray that none of you think that and you've never got that from me. Uh, but let's, let's sort of start uh, putting some meat on the bones of what does it look like to be a godly man, male leadership in the household of God. Not everybody's an elder. So first Timothy chapter two, verse eight, as he's talking, he's just come off the back of, of pushing against all sorts of mess. First Timothy two, verse eight, he says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So he's pushing at the guys who should be leading the worship, not necessarily from the stage. But I mean leading example in worship. The guys who are rocking up to church first, serving hard, being the people that you look at when you think, who's important around here? Who's, who's really got their hands in the mud around here? Visitors come in, they see the men leading the example for what worship looks like. Their hands are lifted up, they are holy, and he knows exactly the kind of sins that guys are most likely to be committing. He says, basically, don't fight, keep your hands clean, uh, you know, don't beat each other's throats. You know, those guys, they're more likely probably to be doing something dirty and then coming and punching each other out. That's bloke sins. He doesn't say don't gossip and, you know, don't covet other people's clothing. That's what he says to the women because he knows how men and women sin differently. He says, don't fight, do away with quarreling, come in holy and then lead example in worship. Then the next sort of part that he says is verse 12 where he, he sees that weak men, and this was happening in Ephesus where, where, and most of Asia where Paul was writing to, 
weak men, and then strong female leadership instead of the men was the key to destroying everything. He says that in verse 12, women should not be in the authority in the, in the uh, household of God. And then in verse 13 and 14, he uses the greatest and most undeniable example of what happens when men fail to lead and women try and take up the failure of men and lead. Right? What example does he use if you're looking at the verses? Adam and Eve. Try and argue that point. I don't think it went too bad when Adam abdicated his leadership and Eve stood up and she was probably more gifted for leadership anyway. You know, I think women can be gifted in the same way. All that happened was the devil cast the entire human race and all of their progeny into utter disarray and rebellion against God. Can it be that bad? Every human being that's ever suffered and died is on that. Yeah, it goes terribly. There's a great argument from Paul. When men don't lead as Adam was supposed to lead, when we step away from our God-given calling... Women, we're told in Genesis 3 and 4, just want to, take, want to step in and fill that vacuum. That's natural, but it's a little bit sinful. And when they do it, things go bad anyway. Because the solution to bad male leadership is not female leadership. It's good, godly, but male leadership. Then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, which is like the next verse, he goes immediately into what should you be looking for in men who can be an elder? Because it's a noble calling, being, bringing order to the household of God and through the household of God, the whole kingdom and through the kingdom, the entire world, right? Paul wants to win the world for Christ, remember? And he's saying the key to that is a church in order. The key to that is a man whose life and family is in order. That's what he says in 1 Timothy 3 as he outlines lead eldership. Now, some of you think about the qualifications for eldership as a high bar that pastors need to meet. But if you actually read through 1 Timothy 3 on the qualifications for eldership, just about everything in there, you'd be in trouble as a guy in church if you couldn't meet them, right? Don't be a drunkard. Well, I'm not a pastor. I can rock up red-eyed every Sunday morning. Uh, well, it says I've got to be a one-woman man. Okay, maybe being a pastor is not for me. I've got a woman and a girl on the side. No. All of these things are literally, even the teaching role, even the ability to teach is literally just what all guys should be aiming at. And so don't think initially Paul is saying, find the best of the best. And they might even embody some of these extreme radical personality traits. You know, they're holy. They're not double-tongued. They're not abusive. They're not addicted to wine. They're you know, not, not, not a, a adulterous. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, Timothy, put to the men that all of them should embody this. And then of that body of men who embody this, some of them can be elders. And really, the way you should think, gentlemen, is that just about any one of you could be, should be able to be an elder within six months. Okay? Not every church has the same ministry philosophy. You need to be trained, right? But as far as character goes, you should aim to be at the point where if I was called on, I'd be ready to be an elder within after six months of just being, being tested. So that's what Paul wants him to realize. And he applies the, the Psalm 128 principle. He says, if a man doesn't have his household in order, that's proof that he's not self-ruled. Therefore, he can't be an elder because he'll destroy the household of God. So he applies the Psalm 128 rule. <clears throat> male pastors is essential to godly male rule in the church. But as we've already touched on, male pastors is not all that godly male leadership looks like. In fact, godly male leadership needs to be applied on every single level. It doesn't mean... Let me just clarify this. It doesn't mean that a woman 
cannot have any position in the church in terms of administration or doing ministry work where a guy has to answer to her, you know, hey, I gave you this roster thing, you didn't turn up. Well, First Timothy tells me you should have no authority over me, woman. Right, we're not doing that. That's not what it means. It means that every, instead of thinking every position in every single conceivable way needs to be filled by man. No, it's not that. It's that every man should be living up to the standards and the calling for godly male leadership. That's what it means. It means all of us need to make zero, zero uh, excuses for yourself to say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. I can be mediocre in my Christianity. Not at all the case. Every man is a potential patriarch if he applies himself. That's the promise of Psalm 128. Now, of course, godly, godly elders is the first line. And so Paul had Timothy and Titus. But the, the next line, if you want to get second, third, fourth to the thousandth generation of God's blessings, there needs to be all other guys. If we want it to pour out further than the pulpit, right? further than the pew, but to actually start hitting the homes, hitting the communities and extending the kingdom of God and building the church up, then we need you guys, everybody to have godly father hearts, kingly rule through the way that they think about their own responsibilities. So five reasons every church needs every guy to take up this, this, uh, this uh, baton and run at the aim of Psalm 128 and 1 Timothy 3, of being a godly man who rules himself well, leads his family well, so that he can grow the church and extend the kingdom. Five reasons we need all these guys is because, first of all, godly men will not bog down the mission of the church. When you fear the Lord and you rule yourself, one of the immediate things that happens is you don't need other guys to manage you and rule you. Okay, when your life is unruly, you need guys around you buffeting. You need the elders to step in and sort out the family. You need, you slow down the mission of the church. Now, that's part of the mission of the church. I'm not saying if you've got issues, don't come talk to us. But what, what we're saying is the aim is if I'm self-ruled, I don't need to use up all the, the church's time in helping rule me. I don't need somebody that I call up every day because I keep on falling into sin. I'm self-managed. I don't need every week somebody to come into my house and, 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 and uh, uh, bring my household into order because it's in disarray. Because I can do that. It's literally my job. Right? So, so godly men don't bog down the mission of the church. And so the efforts of the church, the, the pastors and other men, can go to those who need it and to reaching the lost. Right? The expanding of the kingdom. Think of it this way. In old Israel, if you're causing trouble in the city and there's a battle going out there on the borderline, you're taking resources, right? If you're in a bar fight in Jerusalem, you're stealing resources from the front line where it matters to go and save souls, the front line of kingdom work, and you're dragging them in to sort out stuff that you really should have just had self-control over. That's the first reason. Second reason is because pastors need a gang. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Pastors need a gang of men. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy can literally not obey this verse unless he has other godly men around him with whom and along with whom to call on God. Now, this is especially true of younger pastors. They do their best work when surrounded by capable, godly, faithful, reliable blokes who are an example to him as much as he is an example to them. 
So pastors need a gang. You see this in 2 Samuel 23. In 2 Samuel 23, you see um, uh, uh, David and the big list of his 30 mighty men. It is a wicked chapter to go and read, print out, get a tattoo of it, chuck it on your wall or in your mirror at home or something. 2 Samuel 23 is just the list that puts the, you know, Spartans 300 stories to shame. The guys that that, uh, David had around him to go into battle, his 30 closest men, were gnarly. They were the mighty men. Uh, but, But that principle shows us he needed them to carry out his task as much as they needed him to be the king and to be the military leader. So pastors need a gang for 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 shows us. Thirdly, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, after just listing a bunch of useless dudes, uh, as uh, the Old Testament calls them, worthless men, men of the rabble, Acts 16 picks up and says, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5 tells Timothy, avoid such men. Mark, avoid them, kick them out, get rid of them. Now, if that's all of the guys in the church... Timothy's got a really lonely work. He's just going to have a church that's a constant women's ministry with a bunch of, you know, uh, despondent husbands. So it's, it's pretty, pretty simple mass. To avoid such people, uh, if, he, if he doesn't want to avoid all guys in his church, then he needs his guys in his church to not be those useless men. So that's, that, that, that's the, the, the aim for you guys. Number four, the reason every church needs every guy to take up the godly male leadership task is because godly men join the mission of the church. The mission of the church is literally the entire world. It is too much for a few key leaders. It's, not, it's never enough for you to be able to say, there's some great pastors, they've got a few guys around them, I'm not needed. The mission of the church, the front line of the kingdom, is literally the entire globe. And until we've seen it, you know, that's how, that's how Paul saw. He saw the entire world as a mission field that needed to be one for Christ. And he saw, as key to that, I'm being very repetitive this morning, godly men, who have godly families because they have the Father's heart, they're true godly patriarchs, those men can join and accelerate the kingdom work that is the mission of the church, right? You'll see this all the time. You, you probably know guys who embody this sort of thing. They, they take younger men under their wing and really help them out where they don't have fathers in, in the scene or they've got bad fathers or they don't have good examples of godliness or they're new converts. These godly father-hearted men, they're the kind of guys who take those younger dudes under their wing. They're the kind of guys who take responsibility for jobs and tasks. They see something need to be done, they volunteer for it, they put their work into it. They're the kind of guys who, who help resource the mission. Okay, I can't do all of those things, but I've been blessed with resources. How can I funnel them into the mission to see souls saved and the church built? They offer their skills and talents to bless other people, to help and love and serve and protect women and children. These are the sorts of guys that make up a church that just explode the kingdom work of any given local church. And then fifthly, the fifth reason you need to take up this call and decide today to try and to work on, if you're not there already, embodying those eldership traits, those godly patriarchal male leadership roles, is because not only is it the key to everything and winning the world, but even if God doesn't give you an enormous influential ability and a huge pasture or an enormous influence to be able to do great things in the world, if all he gives you is your little pocket of influence in a local church, and if all he gives you is your few kids or no kids, but spiritual children and a wife, or in his providence, no wife, all of those things are still of infinite value 
that if you don't see some enormous work in your lifetime done under your influence, that work is infinite in itself, and that work is worthy of all of your effort. There is still infinite reason to be God-fearing, self-ruling, patriarchal men. Now, first of all, because sin is real, we are self-deceiving, and at any, you know, avoiding this, avoiding biblical masculinity and biblical manhood is walking in sin. It's not gray area. Avoiding that, knowing that you ought to be higher in godly manliness and failing and being okay with it is sin. And sin, James tells us, breeds more sin. You don't want to get pregnant with sin? Don't let little bits of sin in. That, that, that's how it works. And therefore, really, this is just a call to endurance or perseverance so that you don't fall away from the faith, so that you don't reject the, doc, the, the, the faith that has been handed on to the saints, so that you don't make excuse for sin and whichever, you know, the, the thousands of ways that can manifest in your life Pursue this because your own soul is worth it. For some of you guys, that means today it's, it's repentance and faith in Jesus. I need to repent of trying to be my own man. Trying, hey, mate. Trying to define, de define what living like a Christian looks like myself. Allowing God to have part of my soul and the rest is given to the world or to myself and my self-lordship. You need to repent of that and actually place your faith in the one who has died for you who has raised for you, who loved you enough, came down here, exemplified perfect ma uh, biblical manliness, yes, but more than that was a, he paid your debt and by faith alone you're brought into the household of God. He is perfectly fine with bringing utter failures in. He will sanctify you and grow you later. But if that's all you have today, just nothing but sin, you're welcome to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the rest of us, this will mean constant daily repentance, pursuing righteousness with those who call on the name of God, holding fast because your soul is worth it. Secondly, if all you ever get is a wife and a little family and a little bit of influence in a local church, that has infinite value because each of those souls are eternal and immortal. And they will spend eternity either in hell or in heaven, largely in the human realm, largely based on how well you fear the Lord. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Then uh, somebody can run up and tell Anthony that we're good for the food. Is Inia here? physically here okay jack can you just run up after we pray and let them know actually can you go now sorry that you're going to lose the blessing of the prayer but if we all lay our hand in that direction he'll get some all right let's bow our heads and pray father god we thank you for the blessing of your word that finds us in a dark world and is and is the shining light in this generation peter tells us we thank you for the word that is a lamp to our feet so that we do not need to walk through life utterly and completely blind and directionless and wondering why we've been created like this or put in this time, put in this situation, put in these difficult uh, atmosphere. Father God, we thank you that your word does not just, uh, does not just try and give us therapy, does not just try and make us feel better about our failures and reason them away and make us feel good about ourselves until we die, but it is, it is an equipping and a deploying word. It finds us, it strengthens us, it calls us to something bigger than ourselves, it gives us a global, eternal mission, it equips us, gives us strength, gives us what we need to see it done, and Lord, you are with us, and it, and it, it empowers us until the day we die. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is like this. We thank you especially that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can cover and pay for all of our failures, where we have failed to be men who fear the Lord, who rule ourselves well, but rather have allowed sin to completely have domination over our life, where it has 
come into every crevice and every every room of our heart and uh, started to leak outwards. And it is obvious to us that, that sin has dominion. Father God, I, I thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that destroys that dominion, that gives to us the Holy Spirit to fight and is able, is able to sanctify us. We thank you, Lord God, that you forgive us for those things. You forgive us for every failure in manhood, whether it's been on the side of aggression and pride or whether it's been on the side of effeminacy and shame, whichever way it is, Lord God, we thank you for your grace. And we do ask, Lord Jesus, that you would equip us into those things that you've reminded us of from your word this morning, that each one of us would be able to walk in those godly male leadership so that you can pour through us into our family, into our church, into the world as the kingdom grows. Through this band of the Lord God, through these mighty men, would you, would you give multi-generational faithfulness and blessing that we would see the kingdom built. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. And together we all said, Amen. Amen.